Okay, so we're going to finally close out this conversation three weeks of Jesus, uh, this one conversation he has with this lady, uh, this woman he meets at a well. So he's in Samaria. He's at a well a mile outside of this town called Syker, and he's engaging with this woman who has a questionable past. She's been married five times. She's living with her boyfriend now, and Jesus offers her living water, and she's very much interested in that. And they have this conversation about worship that we mentioned a minute ago, and, and we closed last week with the woman saying, and her mind is completely kind of turned upside down, blown by Jesus about what he says about worship, and she, he's basically saying, y'all are about to be wrong, and the Jews are about to be wrong. Everything you know about worship is about to change, and she says, well, the Messiah is going to come, and we know he's going to explain everything to us. And Jesus says, the one who's speaking to you, that I'm him. I'm the Messiah, and we're going to pick it about being the Messiah. His disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town, and they made their way towards him. We'll pause there. So the disciples, if you remember, they've gone into town, Syker, to buy food. Jesus has stopped at the well. It's about noon, and they've gone on, so he's having a conversation with this woman, just a one-on-one. And now the disciples come back, and they're surprised. That word can mean everything from shocked, which is kind of negative, to amazed, which is a bit more positive. And they're, but, but they're surprised, shocked, amazed, probably all of those. There's at least five disciples, maybe more at this point. And, and they're all, again, shocked, surprised, amazed that Jesus is talking to a woman. And they have some questions in their mind that they never verbalize. And maybe towards the woman... They say, what do you what do you want? Like, Why are you talking to him? It's highly unusual for a woman to be by herself out of well at noon. And maybe they are a bit suspicious of her. Maybe they're a bit protective of Jesus. And to Jesus, they're thinking, why are you talking to a woman? That's not what we do. Jewish men don't talk to women in public, particularly to women they're not related to. So they're they're wondering what's going on. They don't voice any of that, maybe out of respect for Jesus as their rabbi. They don't want to question him uh, in front of this woman. We don't know, but they don't. And so they show up, and the woman leaves. And she goes back to town. Again, it's about a mile, and and she leaves her water pitcher. And some people see that as a very important uh, gesture, highly symbolic. It reminds people of when when Peter and Andrew left their nets in order to follow Jesus and be a disciple. It reminds them of when James and John left their boat and their father in order to follow Jesus and be his disciple. And so what some people see with her leaving this water pitcher, she's leaving behind her old life, and now she's following Jesus as a disciple. And you can totally uh, believe that if you want. I'm not quite there. I don't think she's quite there with Jesus yet. I think she's still asking the question, can this be the Messiah? I don't think she's ready to make a declaration, this is the Messiah. I think she's close. But I don't think she's there. I think she leaves the water pitcher just because she's in a hurry to get back to town. And she doesn't want to have to lug it there and back because she still hasn't gotten water. And that's the reason she came to the well in the first place. So she knows she's going to have to come back and get the water anyway. So she's excited. And she goes into town. And your Bible, your translation maybe says she went to the people. That's what mine says. It's actually men. And I think it's only men. You know, men can mean uh, a mixed group, mixed gender group, or it can be just a group of males. I think in this case, she just went to a group of males. There weren't really places where men and women uh, gathered together publicly. 
I think she's either isolated herself from the women in the village or been ostracized by the women in the village. I think that's why she's at the well by herself at noon instead of with the women in the morning or the evening. I think that she knows the men. She's been married to five of them and she's living with one of them. Um, and I, I think uh, that so that's why I think she goes there. I think she's comfortable and uh, she she goes and she shares and in her vulnerability that come meet this guy. He's told me everything I've I've ever done. That's an exaggeration. But he does know about her her marital history. And and that's enough. And it's pretty amazing to me that these guys follow her. And they come back out, and at that point, I don't know if they've gathered their wives as well. We don't know who all's coming out. But the village is responding to the testimony of this woman, and they're coming out to meet Jesus. Meanwhile, so while all that's happening in town, Jesus is at the well with his disciples. So meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. So Jesus is with the disciples at the well. Maybe it's a bit awkward when they walk up to see him talking to this woman, but now she's left. And rather than addressing that, they just say, are you hungry? You sent us into town to get something to eat. Are you hungry? Here's the food that we brought. And Jesus says, no, I'm fine. I have food that you don't know anything about. And they take him literally. They think he's talking about bread and vegetables and meat. And so they're wondering, did like did the woman bring, give you some food? Did someone else... Bring you food. This is now the third uh, interaction in a row where we've seen Jesus trying to talk to someone on a spiritual level. They just don't get it. Nicodemus, the Pharisee, you must be born again. He hears Jesus saying, I must climb back into my mother's womb and be born a second time. He doesn't hear Jesus talking about spiritual conversion. The Samaritan woman, I want to offer you living water. She hears a spring of fresh water as opposed to water from this well that I have to come out and get. And now the disciples, Jesus says, I've got food. And what they hear is bread and meat and vegetables, not to do the will of the one who Sent me, and so Jesus takes advantage of this teachable moment. He first he first defines this is my food. It's to do the will of the one who sent me. It's to finish his work, and then he uses the the idea of food as a jumping off point to talk to the disciples about spiritual work or, or ministry, if you like that word. It's the spiritual labor that they're entering into. This is still pretty early. In their uh, discipleship, it's still pretty early in Jesus' public ministry. And I think Jesus, again, is taking advantage of this opportunity to say, here's what you're getting yourself into. Here's what you're saying yes to. And here's kind of how this is going to play out. And he uses two proverbs, two just not Bible proverbs, just two cultural proverbs. One of them, he says, will not be true spiritually. And one of them, he says, will be true spiritually. So these things are these, these are what farmers say. This, these things are agriculturally true. One of them is true when it comes to spiritual work. And one of them is not true when it comes to spiritual work. The one that's not true, y'all say four months until the harvest. So apparently, the shortest window between planting and harvesting was four months. Normally it was six. 
But best case scenario is you have four months between sowing and reaping. So the idea there is you have to wait. You have to wait at least four months. Best case scenario, a farmer's waiting four months to get anything out of what he put in to the ground. And Jesus is saying spiritually, that's not, that's not always true. You don't always have to wait. In fact, the fields are white. The harvest is ready. And that would have been maybe difficult for the disciples to hear as they're standing at a well in Samaria. That would maybe be like us if we were standing in Syria. And Jesus says, hey, the fields are white. And we want to say, do you know where we are? Some highly secularized country, France, and we're there. And Jesus says, look, the, the, the fields are ripe. The harvest is ready. I think we would probably think, do you know where we are? This is hard ground. But Jesus, standing at a well in Samaria, says to the disciples, right now, I'm telling you, the, the, the fields are white. The harvest is ripe. You don't necessarily have to wait. So while it's true when it comes to farming, it's not necessarily necessarily always true spiritually that you have to wait for a harvest and then the second proverb is the one sows and another reaps apparently a lot of times different guys would be used to do that work maybe you can imagine if you had a field and it came time to plant you maybe couldn't do all that work yourself pre-tractor days and so you'd hire some some guys to help you sow and then five six months later you have to hire some guys to help you reap. You don't have time to do it all yourself. Again, pre-equipment, and you've got to get all the stuff all out of the field quickly before it spoils, and, and, and maybe you don't hire the same guys. And so there's this, again, this parable, one sows and another reaps, and Jesus says spiritually that is true. There's different roles, different responsibilities. In this case, y'all, disciples, y'all are going to get, a, get to reap what you didn't sow. Other people have done the hard work of sowing, and you're going to reap the benefit of their labor. We don't know who those people are. This is the first time the disciples have been in Samaria. And what he's saying to them, and again, imagine you've got these townspeople who are walking the one mile out of the village to meet Jesus. And he knows this is coming, and so there's about to be an object lesson for them and these things that he's taught them. One, you don't have to wait. And two, there's a sower and there's a reaper. And, and for y'all this time, you're going to get to be the ones who reap. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony, her testimony that he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So there's an object lesson to what Jesus has just been teaching. We have some portion of the villagers come out. Maybe it's all men. Maybe it's mixed. We don't know, but they come out. And they come out based on this woman's testimony. He says they believe based on what she says. We don't know how much they believe because we don't know how much she even knows at this point. She's only known Jesus for, what, two hours, 20 minutes to walk a mile. So the disciples walk there and back 40 minutes. How long does it take to buy food? That's how long their conversation was. It's not like she, she doesn't have a lot. She's got something, but she doesn't have a lot. But based on her testimony, which I think is from a place of vulnerability, he's told me everything I've ever done. And the townspeople know what she's done, especially the guys. And so 
they know what she's done and Jesus is telling her what they've what she's done and she's still excited about him. He hasn't cut her off. He hasn't condemned her. He hasn't criticized her. Somehow she's still intrigued by this guy who knows all about her past. Her past probably involves a couple of these guys, doesn't it? Village isn't that big. She's been married to five of them. She's living with one of them. And maybe there's something in them that's that's intrigued. Well, if, if he knows everything she's done, I wonder if he knows everything I've done. And if she's this excited, what what may he offer me? I, I don't know if that's what's going on. But something I think it's about her vulnerability, her willingness to say he knows all about my past. And yet she's still saying, and he may be the Messiah. He may be the one sent to to save us. And that intrigues these guys. And so they're following her out to the well. They take the 20-minute walk out to the well, and they see Jesus and say, you got to come back to town and stay with us. And he agrees to do that, to stay in their town for two days, unheard of. Jews don't do that. They don't spend the night in Samaritan villages. Samaritans are unclean. So everything Jesus touched in Samaria would have made him unclean. The bed he slept on, the chair he sat in, the, the fork that he used to eat his food, everything would have made him unclean. Stays with them for two days. And you see these villagers. We don't, was it the whole village? We don't know. But many more believe because of what Jesus said. And we can almost read that as a ho-hum. It's a huge deal. If you're a Jew and you're reading Samaritans are following Jesus. Again, these are everything is wrong with Samaria. They have the wrong Bible. They worship on the, in the wrong place. They're this mixed breed of Jew and Gentile. Nothing about them is okay. And yet we see them in numbers responding first to this woman. And again, think about who this woman is. Not necessarily the one you would pick. If you could have one person kind of waving your flag, you're not probably picking her to do it for you. In this town of Samaritans. Again, not necessarily a likely place for there to be a large number of people choosing to follow Jesus. But that's what we see here. And what they say to her, which is what we ultimately hope for everybody... We did believe because of what you said, but that's not true anymore. Now we have firsthand knowledge. Now we know for ourselves. We've heard his words. We've interacted with him. And so now our faith in him, the fact that we know he is the savior of the world, the fact we know that because we've interacted with him, not just based on what you've said. It's a much more a solid foundation, firsthand knowledge versus secondhand knowledge. She's just brought them to Jesus, and then he's kind of taken it from there. And so some portion, maybe most of this village, uh, has, is now uh, following Jesus. Jeremy Morris, we were talking about this, and he said he read somewhere that the Palestinian church today is descended from this church in Samaria. Can you think about the legacy 2,000 years later of one woman's testimony to her village? It's amazing to think about how the Lord used that and continues to use that. And so I want to give you maybe one word of encouragement and then a slight challenge, not a strong challenge this morning, just a slight challenge. Let me encourage you with this. So this idea of spiritual growth, it's a process. There's a process involved. You don't necessarily see the process in John 4. It's like time-lapse photography. The, this woman, in the course of an hour or two hours, goes, told her all these things about her past that he wouldn't have any other way of knowing. To now she's saying, could he be the Messiah? And she at least believes that 
enough. I don't know that she's fully committed, but she's at least far enough in her thinking that Jesus is the Messiah to go get the guys from the town and bring them back. So she's pretty close at that point. And it all happens again. It's an hour or two. Jesus is really good. We're, for most of us, it's not, this isn't how things work. We're, we talk with people for years, months, weeks. Rarely is it just an hour or two that somebody goes from completely, uh, Jesus is a stranger. Someone we would call them unreached. Someone who's never heard the gospel in their heart language. The language that they most understand. They've never heard who Jesus is in a way that they can kind of grab onto that. To go from that to saying, well, I know something about Jesus. He's a prophet. I don't know everything about him, but I know something. There's something special about him. All the way to saying, I'm willing to commit my life to him and I'm willing to follow him as a disciple. That rarely is that a one or two hour process. But we see here, again, it's like time lapse photography with this woman. And so I want to encourage you, wherever you are in your personal process, keep going. This woman didn't know everything there was to know. She'd known Jesus for a couple hours, and yet she was still able to bring other people to him. You don't have to know everything there is to know. Her testimony was enough, and you have one as well. We testify to what we know. We're eyewitnesses of certain facts, we'll say. This woman knows this is what Jesus said about me, and this is what my interaction is has been with him. I don't know everything, but I know this, and you've got that. You have a testimony. There's something that you could, in a court of law, say, this is who Jesus has been to me. I don't know everything there is to know. I can't answer every question. I can't respond to every argument. But I do know who Jesus has been to me, and that was enough. That was enough to get these guys to Jesus, and then he took it from there. We're witnesses, remember, that's all we are. We're witnesses, Acts 1-8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be a witness, to be able to testify, this is who Jesus has been to me. And so, again, I want to encourage you, there's a process. You're in process, none of us arrives, but... We also have a part to play in the process for other people. There's one element where I would say, look with eyes of faith. Using those proverbs, it's, there are all, someone is always ready to take the next step. They might not be ready to commit fully to Jesus, but there's always somebody ready for the next step of spiritual growth. But for many of us, we just miss it. We're like the disciples. We're going to the store to buy bread. And we don't realize all the people we're we're interacting with are hungry for Jesus. We don't realize that they're spiritually ready. We're just buying food. The town that the disciples just left is now coming to meet Jesus. And it's not a criticism of them at all. It's just reality. They just missed it. And many of us just missed it as well. One of the reasons they missed it is because they're Samaritans, not Jews. So it's not even in the mind of the disciples that these guys would be open to Jesus or that Jesus would be open to these guys. That's not something that they're thinking about. Salvation is for the Jews. It's not for the Samaritans. And for many of us, how many of us go about our day not even thinking that the people we're interacting with could be spiritually hungry? Again, maybe not ready to throw down their, you know, to throw down their nets and follow Jesus completely, not ready to leave the boat and their father, but they're ready for 
a spiritual conversation or they're ready for a bit more understanding. I, I don't know. I don't necessarily live that way. And I have an advantage over many of you. When people ask me to meet, it's usually because they have something going on in their life. I have at least a halfway open door, and I still miss it. And I, for many of you, you may feel like I, I'm, that none of those opportunities are available to me. Those aren't the interactions. That's not the level of interaction that I have with people on a daily basis. So I want to encourage you to uh, develop eyes of faith. What does that look like? Super practical. I would just I would say pray. Some of you, uh, you have a calendar schedule every day. You already know who you're going to meet. You know who you're going to interact with. You know what you're going to do. Just pray before your day starts. God, give me eyes to see. And you just list those people, what's going on in their life. And if any of them are ready spiritually, are any of them ripe spiritually? Give me eyes to see. Many of you, you don't know what your day is going to hold. It's you just kind of do what comes next and whoever walks through the door and whatever that wherever your errands take you. And so maybe you pray in a more general sense. God, give me eyes to see. I want eyes to see people's spiritual condition. I want to recognize and I want to believe even that the harvest is is white, that there are people who are who are spiritually ready to take the next step. Not everybody. But some people. So that would be my first encouragement to you is recognize Jesus says that his father is always at work. God is always working. And what we want to do is partner in with what he's doing. That's what the disciples are doing in Samaria. Y'all didn't do anything, Jesus is saying to the disciples. Somebody else laid all the groundwork. Y'all just get to reap the benefits of that. You get to bring these people. uh, You get to see these people moving into a relationship with me. You don't have to do any work. That God's always working. He works. He's been working in people's lives before you came on the scene, and he'll be working in their life after you leave. And so what we want to have, again, are these eyes of faith to say, God, is anybody ready for the next spiritual step? The second thing I would say, and maybe this is a bit of a challenge for us, don't let your body be your boss. Don't let your body be your boss. Jesus was hungry. And he was tired, and he was hot, and he was thirsty. Most of us, you pick any two of those things, and we're not pleasant. Jesus is all four of those things, and he has this spiritual conversation with this woman. And as far as we know, he never got anything to eat. He never got anything to drink. Her water pitcher's empty. Jesus doesn't have anything to draw it with. It's still hot, and he's still tired. In the moment... He chose her spiritual need over his physical needs. You want to say needs, desires, wants, maybe needs is too strong a word. He chose her spiritual comfort over his physical wants in that moment. And I wonder if that could be a challenge for us as well. Uh, One of my favorite missionary quotes, Jackie Pullinger, she's a British missionary to Hong Kong. She says, what God is looking for are Christians who have... Soft hearts and hard feet. And what he often gets are Christians who have hard hearts and soft feet. And we live in a culture that prioritizes, that values physical comfort. And that's okay. We just need to recognize that that value makes us soft and maybe even makes us selfish. 
for many of us, if we were at the well, and I can speak for myself, if I'm at the well and I'm hungry and I'm tired and I'm hot and I'm thirsty and someone walks up to the well, I pull out a book and start reading. I pretend they're not there. I don't want to talk. I especially don't want to talk. I especially don't want to talk with somebody I don't know. I don't know if you're the same way. I do that all the time. If I'm tired, if I feel like I've given enough, I see people in Kroger, I hide all the time. All the time. From some of you. (laughs) I'm not a good example. What about you? If we don't train our bodies, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 9. If we don't train our bodies, that is, if we allow our physical wants, our physical desires to control us, if we're not training our body, then when the decision point comes, and it doesn't always come, there's plenty of times that you can do the will of the one who sent you. There's plenty of times that you can finish his work. And it doesn't cost you anything physically. But there are times where it will. And if you haven't trained your body in that moment, most likely you're not going to choose the spiritual of someone else. You're going to choose your own physical, if that makes sense. What is the will of the one who sent you? It's to make disciples of all nations. What is the will of the one who sent you? It's for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And he invites all of us into that process. Remember, one sows and one reaps. There's this process and we're involved in that on some level. Sometimes we do the hard work of sowing and sometimes we do the really uh, exciting and joyful work of reaping. But there's a process and we're a part of that in the lives of other people. God has invited us to partner with him. First Corinthians three. He's invited us into this work. He could have done things other way uh, in a different way. He could have said, I'm going to handle it on my own. I'm going to physically appear to everybody. He could have, but it's not what he did. So I'm going to work through my church, which is us. Paul says in first Corinthians three, some water and some plant that doesn't matter. God's the one that makes the seed grow. But you may be a planter. You may be a waterer. You may be a reaper. It's going to be different things in the lives of different people and at different points in your life. But there's work to be done. And at times. That work is going to cost you. You only have so many hours in a day. And if you're going to say yes to finishing the work of the one who sent you, then you may have to say no to something else that maybe you want to do. If you're going to say yes to finishing his work, then you may have to say no to some of your own. Now, some of you are wired as ascetics. If it's hard, you're difficult, if it involves suffering, you're like, yes, give me more. You can play on your phone. You don't need to listen. You don't need any more fuel for your fire. I'm not telling you to find the most extreme thing that you can do to demonstrate your devotion to Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, like Paul, what does it mean for us to train our bodies What does it mean for us at times to say no to what we want, even what we may think we need in order to condition ourselves to say yes to him? How can Jesus, who's hungry, say, I'm not hungry? 
doing the will of my father. That's the food that I need. Like that's not just flowery language. He doesn't take the food. And then the townspeople come. And now he's ministering to a whole group of people. How does he do that? It's not because he's divine. He's he's tapped into some different reality. Don't hear me saying stop eating. Hear me saying train your body. We don't live in a culture where we ever have to say no to the desires of our flesh. We can say yes to everything, which is fine, except it makes us soft. And when we come to a decision point where in order to do the will of the one who sent us means that we may not get what we want. We may have to give something up. It's difficult for many of us. We've had two teams come back uh, from short-term trips, one to Guatemala and one to Honduras. And if you ask them, they would probably say, yeah, there were times where it was difficult. I slept on, you know, a piece of plywood. The food didn't agree with me. It was really hot. There was no air conditioning. The showers were cold, whatever. But if you asked them and said, well, was it worth it? I guarantee you they'd say, absolutely, it was worth it. Particularly if you talk to the adults, they would probably say at some point along the way, they thought, I shouldn't go. I made a mistake. It costs too much. I got too many things going on at work. I can't be away. Small picture saying no to our bodies in order to say yes to the work of God. So maybe for you, challenge. And again, this is I'm trying to measure this because I I don't want the martyrs in the crowd to go too far. But what would it look like for you to train your body? What if you said, just because, I'm not going to eat tomorrow. I'm just not going to eat. You're not going to die. I'm not going to eat tomorrow. As a way of saying, Jesus, what does it look like for me to be like you in this and say, my food is to do your will. I don't even know what that means. My food is what's on the plate in front of me. But for, for tomorrow, I'm going to choose to say my food is to do your will. I'm going to trust you to sustain me physically And I want to have eyes to see what you're doing. What if you did that tomorrow? And then what if you did that one day next month? And one day the next month? That's a way of training your body. What if you said on Tuesdays, I'm going to wake up 30 minutes early. For some of you, you'd rather starve than not hit snooze. But you said, I'm going to wake up 30 minutes early. I I need this sleep, but I'm going to sacrifice this sleep in order to spend 30 more minutes with you on Tuesday morning. What if you said that? And I'm going to do that every Tuesday for three months or four months. Do you think saying no to your body in those ways and saying yes spiritually, even though nothing is being pressed upon you, it's training, it's practice. This isn't, there's not a decision in front of you. This isn't a matter of obedience at this point. It's just a recognition that we live in a world where we never have to tell our bodies no. And if we never tell our bodies no, then when we actually have to tell our bodies no, we're not going to. If in order to say yes to something God puts in front of us, I have to say no to physical comfort. If I've never said no to physical comfort, it's ridiculous for me to think I'm actually going to do it in the moment. And so I want to challenge you again and you need to do this before the lord don't hear this as an opportunity to be a hero you're not earning god's love you're not showing how great a christian you are you're training your body paul first corinthians 9 
It's a recognition that the ones who stand firm to the end will be saved. And at times things get difficult. And in those times, we want to be the kind of people who say yes to faithfulness, who say yes to Jesus, who say yes to the work that he's put in front of us, even if it means missing a meal or even if it means missing some sleep or even if it means spending some money or even if it means giving up a vacation or even if it means not avoiding people in the aisles of Kroger. Got it? Let's take a minute and pray. Y'all can kind of work through those. I want, to, I want to pray for one group in particular. We'll pray with you about anything. If you feel this morning, if you would be willing to acknowledge this, if you feel overlooked, we want to pray for you. I think about that woman at a well at noon by herself with her track record. In her being picked and chosen by God to be the one who would basically evangelize her entire village. A village that I think in many ways the guys had maybe taken advantage of her and the girls had cut her off. And she's sent back to that very place. I wonder how often she felt overlooked. She felt like her ship had sailed the Either the choices she made and the circumstances that she'd been a victim of, both had kind of conspired and she has this life of being overlooked and forgotten. If that's you, regardless of why you feel that way, please let us pray for you this morning. You're not overlooked. Jesus says God sees the sparrows that fall to the ground. He sees you. He sees you this morning. And I believe his desire would be for you to know that he sees you. And so that's what we're going to pray. That you would hear his voice. That you would know his presence. I want to pray for people who maybe have a difficult time to look at their situation with eyes of faith. Have a hard time looking and saying, yes, this field is... White, we want to pray for you that God would give you eyes to see. We want to pray for people who maybe, and this is another one that's hard to acknowledge, if you would say, I never say no. I can't rem- if I'm going on a diet, other than I never say no to my body. I do whatever I want. I eat what I want. I go to bed when I want. My, my physical comfort, if I'm honest, is one of my highest values. And if it makes me uncomfortable, I'm out. That's a hard thing to acknowledge. But if you would be willing to acknowledge that this morning, we'll pray that God would show you what it looks like for you to train your body. Whatever that means, that he would show you what that looks like. And we'll let the Holy Spirit be your personal trainer. We won't try to do that for you. So, Holy Spirit, would you come now? Would you speak to us? Would you encourage us? I pray for each one of us that we would recognize this incredible opportunity and invitation that you've given us to partner with you in finishing the work of the Father. To partner with you in doing the will of the Father who sends each of us out in the same way that he sent Jesus out. So would you stir within us faith? Would you stir within us hope? And would you stir within us love for people?
who don't yet know you. Would you come now and minister to us in Jesus' name? Amen. You guys can stand. We're going to be late by five minutes. So I acknowledge that and apologize. Um, But I want you, if you want prayer, please uh, come forward during this song and then Bo will dismiss us.